Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Some time ago, matter of fact, probably several years ago, I, I felt impressed to, um, to write some things down or write an article or a book on some of the experiences that I had at hospice and the things that moved me and touched me that I saw there. And it wasn't until about two weeks ago or three weeks ago I was able to take uh, uh, my camper and go out to Gaze Mills and have some time by myself. It was delicious to be alone. It tasted really good just to be isolated. And while I was there, God really talked to me about uh, this article, and I, I finished it up, and Sister Mary helped me get all the commas and spell all the words right. I think the older we get, the, the dumber we get. I, I don't know. I think I, I have a leak, and the knowledge that I have, I think, is dripping out somewhere. But I, I told the Lord, I said, I don't like to come to church and read something that that I wrote because it seems like it draws attention to me and I don't want to do that. And as much as I tried to find a different direction for tonight, it always kept coming back to this. Um, Now this is important. This topic is, you could preach on this topic very easily because one of the major problems that we have in our relationship with God in our church is people get hurt. And I'm not talking about stubborn their toe. I'm talking about they love something, they get hurt or they lose it, and they harden their heart and refuse to love again because they do not want to go through the pain of hurt. Now that goes back to my hospice. And so tonight, I want to just share this with you and I... I know that you won't be offended, but I feel strongly that this is something that God wants me to share with you. I I called it, loving is worth the price. A sliver of light shines into the darkened hospital room looking as if it were for companionship in this late hour of the night. At 2 a.m., everything is quiet in the ICU department at St. Luke's Hospital. The monitors are each performing their job as night watchmen, looking for things out of the ordinary. In one particular room, a battle's raging as despair sinks its claws into the mind of its victim. It was not long ago he had been in this very hospital undergoing a serious surgery on his heart. It had been, he remembers, a calamity of errors which had resulted in complications that he was still trying to recover from. It seems that his supply of faith is greatly depreciated and the darkness of this trial has engulfed him like some evil cloud. He finds it hard to hold on to optimism as he faces those things which now obscure his view of ever getting well. Where has God been in all of this? 
Why were there no times of spiritual refreshing and recovery? After preaching and ministering to so many others, why did he feel so all alone in his own battle? His mind was full of hurt and fear. Oh, if only God would share with him his divine plan in all of this. There were so many more questions and yet so few answers. It was then that the door slowly opened to his room. A figure clothed in white came and stood by him as he sat on the edge of his bed. May I sit with you for just a little while? The voice was soft and reflected the compassion of its owner. The patient nodded his head and for a long time they sat together, neither saying a word. Her hand lay atop his hand and it was the unspoken things that carried the loudest message to the ears of the patient's spirit. This simple act of love carried with it God's healing hand of encouragement and renewal. God was ministering through the actions of this sensitive person. Her visit provided the conduit in which God could send a healing presence to one of his children, not merely of words, but of touch. Some of the best sermons I've ever heard or seen have been the ones without words. Love and compassion came into this room and accomplished in a moment what medication and optimistic chatter could not. I wonder if this nurse realized the impact of her visit. In my mind, I feel that she knew and had felt the same presence, no doubt many times, in her selfless acts of compassion. She had undoubtedly found the fountain of spiritual healing that goes beyond the reality of the temporal and works and enters into the realm of the eternal, I never knew her name, and I, couldn't even, I could not even tell you what she looked like. But I can remember clearly all the details of that visit. God has placed inside every human being the capacity to love and the need to be loved. It's the one aspect of our nature that cannot be overdone. You can overeat, you can overreact. You can overwork, but you can never love too much. Love conquers every hardship. It strengthens every relationship, and it will never expire. It always excites the heart and sees the good in the object of its affection. I read some time ago about a man who ran back into his burning house, placing his own life in serious jeopardy to save a cat. Most would say, why kill yourself over a cat? That statement in itself tells you the person has never loved a cat. They may be a cat liker, but when you love something, you most often do not take the time to count the cost of saving it. Many people have a hard time distinguishing between loving and liking. I think Jesus illustrated the difference when he confronted Peter after his denial preceding the crucifixion. Peter, 
Lovest thou me more than these? Peter answered, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Sorry to say in the King James Version, it does not distinguish between the two different Greek words used for love that were used in this text. One was the Greek word philio, and the other one was the Greek word agape. In both cases, they are translated into the English word love. This causes us to misunderstand the message Jesus was trying to convey to Peter. The difference between being a friend and actually attaining the level of love that God expects from his children is crucial for us to understand if we are to overcome the obstacles that lay ahead of us. This lack of understanding brings about a crucial deficiency in the structure of strong and solid relationships in our society. Most people marry at the level of friendship rather than at the level of love. And when the price of commitment is demanded, they come up short of what's required to finish the course and the relationship is terminated. The word Jesus used for love comes from the Greek word agape, which carries with it the highest level of commitment and loyalty. The word filial, to put it simply, is a friendship bond. Now, friendship bonds are great, and they are what many of us have with a lot of people, but they do not go the distance by any measure compared to that of the word agape. Now, Peter cannot and will not use the same word for love that Jesus uses in this conversation. Three times in John 20, Jesus asked Peter if he agapied him. Peter, on the other hand, uses the word filial in response to these three inquiries from the Lord saying, you know that I'm your friend. His actions already support that claim being completely frank and honest with Christ and not trying to whitewash or make excuses for his betrayal, he does not try to be something his actions have shown he's not. Friendship, however, will not make the climb to Calvary, nor will it stand in the heat of fiery trials. It falls short and fails to make the grade. Jesus tries to pull Peter up to the level of love and commitment that is necessary to make the trek to heaven. You see, agape is the type of love that God has for you. It is a kind of love that is committed through floods, storms, and drought, not only when the sky is clear and the sun shines, but also when it does not. It isn't solely based on emotion and what it can receive by any means. Actually, it's quite the opposite. Agape love looks for opportunities in which to give. In John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave. Love does not think twice about running into a burning building or placing itself in harm's way to protect another. Now, if you're the type of person who has to count the cost of being a Christian, you probably are not one. The word Christian means Christ-like or like Christ. Christ never thought twice about his commitment to the world. 
So if we truly love him in the true sense of the word, we cannot and should not count the cost of service to him. When I was five years old, I fell off the pier at my Uncle Don's home on Wallace Lake. I remember that day as though it was yesterday. Our family had come directly from church to see my aunt and uncle. We were still all dressed up in our Sunday go-to-meeting clothes, and as Dad and Mom sat in the house visiting, I wandered out to the end of the pier and fell into the water. I could not swim, and I was drowning. Fortunately, God's divine hand directed my dad, along with a couple of angels, I'm sure, to check on me. Looking out the kitchen window, he noticed I was nowhere in sight. Panic grabbed my dad's heart, and he rushed out into the backyard and saw my little body floating a distance from the pier. I was face down when he saw me, and that's when love grew legs. Dad never stopped to empty his pockets, take off his suit coat, or to check the water temperature or the depth. His love caused him to run into the water and pull me out. His love for me caused him to place my limp body on the ground and give me life support. He was the only one that ran into the water because like many, we wait to see if someone else will do what needs to be done before we commit to the inconvenience of reaching out to a need. I do not believe that God loved you so much that he sent another to save you. I believe God robed himself in a body and dove in to pull your lifeless body from the waters of sin and despair. He never thought twice about providing life support as others stood around and watched and sent out their sympathy. Oh, yes. Those present that day cared for me, but only one's love reached out to grasp my spirit from the grip of death. A lot of people are willing to stand around and pray for a miracle, but not everyone is willing to pay the price to make a miracle. I've had the distinct pleasure to work together with some of the nicest and most dedicated people in the world. Let me explain. In the year of 2004, the Lord detoured my ministry into the area of chaplaincy. I was offered a position at Economowoc Memorial Hospital to establish a spiritual care program. This took me directly into the rooms of the sick and dying. I worked the emergency department, the ICU, and the cancer center. This later led me to inpatient hospice care as well as home hospice. I began to work alongside and in conjunction with medical staff, nurses, doctors, radiologists, and so on. The Lord let me watch as others, as well as myself, provided a hand of healing as well as compassion to those who were desperately in need of help that they themselves could not provide. I have to admit, hospice was the biggest of my challenges. Knowing that the people I ministered to would soon cease to exist in the realm of the living, I felt drawn into relationships of compassion with people that I knew would only be around for a short period of time. 
As I allowed myself to begin to love them, I knew I would have to pay the price of grief when they were no longer with me. I asked myself, Steve, why do you let yourself become attached to someone you know you will lose in a short time? I was not the only one by any means. I saw the nurses hurry to leave a room after they had done all they could, looking for a place to dry their tear-stained faces. I'm sure if you listen closely, you would hear a staff member or two shedding tears in an isolated section of their workplace and then drying their tears and picking up where they left off. Yet they would continue each day to relive the same scenario. I have to tell you how great my respect is for those who love and are willing to pay the cost of love. Why not work in the OB department where 90% of your work is filled with the joy of fresh new life? Lives that will last for quite some time and give back to society in variable measures seems to be a great investment of one's time. Why work with those who are going to expire? Let me tell you a secret that I've learned as well as have those nurses I work with. Loving is worth the cost and offers a much higher rate of return on your investment than many imagine. This is especially true even at the very end of life. Yes, the grief is great and constant, but the satisfaction in knowing that you made a difference in the top of the ninth inning supersedes any inconvenience that comes through habitual mourning. I was taught to leave my work in the workplace, but I've never been able to turn my love on and off. Maybe that's what you may consider a flaw that will eventually do me in. The only thing this has done for me is enlarge my heart. I say that in a good sense, of course. It has developed within me a propensity for love to a degree I've never had before. I remember a certain individual who was admitted to our hospice. Jim, not his real name, of course, was a retired pastor from a local congregation. He was in his 80s, and from the moment I met him, Jim and I became friends. He was small of stature, but large in character. We spent hours together and became very close. He was able to share things with me in confidence that he would with no other. I could feel myself sliding deeper and more hopelessly into this relationship. I could not wait to see him each day. I watched him decline and slide more quickly towards his state with death. I knew I would not have him with me much longer and realized that my love for him was, was that of a family member. About a week before he died, he began to slip away in a dramatic way. After each visit, I realized that this might be the last time I'd see him. Jim, what can I sing with you today, I asked. Jim's breaths came more in gasp, and we both knew that I would be singing solo on the outside, but we would be doing a duet on the inside. 
He liked the old Pentecostal Brush Arbor songs. And on this particular day, as I finished singing, something happened that had never happened to me before. Now, you will not understand this unless you have experienced it yourself. It was this, a wave of emotion swept over me with torrents of love and compassion falling down around me. It was a spiritual epiphany. I knew he sensed it as well. It was the elephant in the room. It was more powerful than anything I have ever remembered experienced before in my dealings with patients. I looked into Jim's eyes and we connected. I bent down and kissed him on the forehead. It was a moment where peace filled the room along with an almost angelic atmosphere. At that moment, even though words were not exchanged, we both knew how each of us felt about the other. I should tell you, both Jim and I were raised very conservatively when it comes to showing emotion. Yet both of us knew what was happening in the love we shared for each other. There was nothing I would not have done to help him through what he was experiencing. The next day, as I sat by his bedside, he struggled to lift his hand and motioned with his finger for me to lean over close. He grabbed my tie and pulled me close and kissed me on the cheek as if to say, I feel the same way. Jim died shortly after this, and I felt the sting of loss. But I tell you the truth, I would do and have done the same thing over and over. The reason? Loving is worth the cost. It is much better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all. I remember making rounds one particular morning at Angel's Grace Hospice when the patient I was with began to seizure. A nurse walked in at about the same time and she followed medical protocol. However, what left a permanent impact on me is what happened next. One of the nurse's aides came into the room and immediately climbed into the bed and straddled the struggling patient. She placed her cheek upon the cheek of the patient and softly cooed loving words into her ear. In a matter of moments, the seizure stopped. But the lasting impression of love with legs never left me the same. I'm sure this was not in any instruction material she had ever been given. I'm sure that others may even think it unethical. But love has power. And this aid followed her instincts and positively influenced a negative situation. Now, I don't know about you, but I would welcome a person into my sacred place if I knew their love to be for me to be genuine and committed. Several years ago, I had a Doberman. Her name was Scylla. We were fast friends for the five years I had her. 
The memories we created while walking in the Kettle Moraine Forest still bring me great joy. However, there came a day when she was diagnosed with cancer, and I watched her athletic Doberman body become plagued with tumors. I remember her looking up at me as they put her to sleep, as if to say, I'm scared, but I love you and have the utmost trust in you. After she passed away, I sat in the middle of the floor with her head in my lap and cried. Five years I had her, and yet I grieved as though she had been with me a lifetime. Some would say, no more dogs. It isn't worth the pain for the amount of time you have with them. Let me say, it's not the amount of time that makes the difference. It's the joy and thrill of sharing love with someone or something living that provides the ultimate thrill and fulfillment in life. One person wrote, it's not the number of breaths you take, it's the number of things that take your breath away that really matter. You can let those times of hurt cause you to withdraw from love and live at the level of friendship, or you can take the risk of investing in a relationship that yields eternal dividends and is more powerful than any drug. Dare to love, for in it you will find a measure of purpose and fulfillment that others only desire. Don't stand on the sidelines, clutching at your heart, trying to protect it from being wounded. For I know someone that can heal a broken heart so that it can love again. I think of the scripture in Matthew 24 talking about the end days. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples and in a prophetic way he says, in the last days, the love of many shall wax cold. In other words, the, the relationships that we have in the last days because of our busy schedules will be superficial at the very best friendship level. Because the level of love where true satisfaction and, and commitment dwell where the, the thrill and, and the, the, the thrill of, of life only comes at the higher level. You see, your friends go home at night. But when you have a, you're in a level of commitment, of love and agape love with a woman, or your wife, or even a pet, that dwells with you all the time. And to sort of wrap this up, this evening, and I know I'm not going really long, which is really surprising some of you, is that God doesn't want you to be his friend. I would have broke my heart when I proposed to my wife if she would have said, Steve, I just want to be your friend. Some would say, well, that's fine but I, I'm not looking for a friend, honey. 
I'm looking for a wife. I'm looking for a bride. I look at the honesty, the raw honesty of Peter when he, he tells Jesus that, you know, I can't say. I can't use the same word that you're using, Jesus, because my actions show you that I'm not living at the level that you are with me. Because I'm always counting the cost. What's it going to cost me if I stand up for him and do not deny him? If you really love me, Peter, you won't count the cost. You'll, you'll find yourself doing it. That man that ran into the house to save his cat, he never thought about it. I'm sure he never did. Any more than what my dad did for me. Never thought about it. Are you thinking about it? I've asked um, Sister Missy and Angela, I don't know, if maybe somebody, I don't know if Angela's here. Sister Missy, maybe, could you go get her? I'll talk for a second. I want you guys to sing that song together. And, and while you're getting her, I have something else I want to share with you. I just came across this today. This is a true story. And it had to do with hospice. So just give me one minute to read this because I think it'll really touch you. After waiting a minute, I honked again. Oh, wait a second. I'm at the wrong page here. Since this was going to be my last ride of my shift, I thought about just driving away, but instead I put the car in park and walked up to the door and knocked. He's a taxi driver. Just a minute, answered a frail elderly voice. I could hear something being dragged across the floor. After a long pause, the door opened. A small woman in her 90s stood before me. She was wearing a print dress and a pillbox hat with a veil pinned on it, like somebody out of a 1940s movie. By her side was a small nylon suitcase. The apartment looked as if no one had lived in it for years. All the furniture was covered with sheets. There were no clocks on the wall, no knickknacks or utensils on the counters. In the corner was a cardboard box filled with photos and glassware. Would you carry my bag out to the car, she said. I took the suitcase to the cab and returned to assist the woman. She took my arm and we walked slowly toward the curb. She kept thanking me for my kindness. Kindness. It's nothing, I told her. I'm just, I just treat all my passengers this way. I, the way that I would want my mother to be treated. Oh, you're such a good boy, she said. When we got in the cab, she gave me an address and then asked, could you drive through downtown? Oh, it's not the shortest way, I answered quickly. Oh, I don't mind, she said. I'm in no hurry. I'm on my way to a hospice. I looked in the rearview mirror. Her eyes were glistening. I don't have any family left, she continued in a soft voice. The doctor says, 
I don't have very long. I quietly reached over and shut off the meter. What route would you like me to take? I asked. For the next two hours, we drove through the city. She showed me the building where she had once worked as an elevator operator. We drove through the neighborhood where she and her husband had lived when they were newlyweds. She had me pull up in front of a furniture warehouse that had once been a ballroom where she had gone dancing as a girl. Sometimes she'd ask me to slow in front of a particular building or corner and would sit staring into the darkness, saying nothing. As the first hint of sun was creasing the horizon, she suddenly said, I'm tired. Let's go now. We drove in silence to the address she had given me. It was a low building, like a small convalescent home with a driveway that passed under a portico. Two orderlies came out to the cab as soon as we pulled up. They were solicitous, that's a hard word to say, and intent, watching her every move. They must have been expecting her. I opened the trunk and took the small suitcase to the door. The woman was already seated in a wheelchair. How much do I owe you, she asked, reaching into her purse. Nothing. I answered. Well, you have to make a living, she said. Oh, there are other passengers, I responded. Almost without thinking, I bent and gave her a hug. She held on to me tightly. You gave an old woman a little moment of joy, she said. Thank you. I squeezed her hand and then walked into the dim morning light. Behind me, a door shut. It was the sound of the closing of a life. For the rest of that day, I could hardly talk. What if that woman had gotten an angry driver or one who was impatient to end a shift? What if I had refused to take the run or had honked once and then driven away? On a quick review, I don't think that I have done anything more important in my life. We're conditioned to think that our lives revolve around great moments, but great moments often catch us unaware, beautifully wrapped in what other others may consider a small one. That story touched me because it, it brought me back to where I started. That one nurse walked into that one room early in the morning when she didn't have to. And she sat on my bed and held my hand and changed my whole night. You may think that the things that you do are insignificant. That cab driver learned a lesson. It's the kindest, it's the simple acts of kindness and love and charity that encourage people, but you'll ever, only do them if you have love in your heart for people. This song that they're going to sing, after we had sat on the bed for a while, the Lord put this verse inside my mind, and I asked her, I said, before you go, would you let me sing this song? 
And I think we both cried together because there was a presence in the room and she had known that I was, I was different now than when she came in. So I think when you hear the words to the song, you'll understand what God was doing. Could you stand with me? And maybe as they're, they're singing this, if you feel led to come to the altar, feel free to come up as God leads you. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.